today's episode of Sports and the World, we talk about value when it comes to Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, the AL and NL Cy Young race, the Golden State Warriors, my Money in the Bank reactions, the top five list, and your stat of the day. That's today on Sports and the World. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whenever you're listening to us, but more importantly, however you're listening to us, thank you for taking a little time out of your day to join for another episode of Sports and the World. I'm Ladarius Brown. Hope you guys had a great week. Game of Thrones final, didn't watch it. I saw Money in the Bank, really didn't see the difference between the final of each. But we'll get to Money in the Bank later. I want to jump right into this. When we talk about value, we define value in different ways. If you work for a company, do you define value as the money you make and the position you make, or do you define it by longevity? And let me give you an example. Michael Jordan was valuable to the Chicago Bulls, not just financially, but he was Chicago. When you thought of the Chicago Bulls, you thought of Michael Jordan. You didn't think of Scottie Pippen. You didn't think of Phil Jackson. You simply thought of Michael Jordan. That was his value. His value was not monetarily. But that's basketball. If you're interested in the football, value comes from the quarterback position. How valuable your team is, is based on the most important position, I believe, in all the sports. And that's the quarterback position. So the problem becomes, how do we measure the value in baseball? And so, when I thought of, well, who are the two best baseball players right now? And I've always said that it's Bryce Harper and Mike Trout. And no disrespect to Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner, Aaron Judge, any of the other players. But I look at these two and I go, well, these are the two more valuable players to baseball. And you'll see in a minute why I chose these two and why I think that they are the two most valuable players in the game. So what I did was that I chose five metrics to measure baseball by in terms of the standards of value. I chose money, war, war, wins above replacement, jersey sales, the awards they won, and social media. Whether we want to believe it or not, social media is important. So let's dive right on in. Well, we know the money, Bryce Harper signed 13-year, 330 million, making 25.3 mil a year. Mike Trout said, Anything you can do, I can do better. You got a 12-year, $428.17 million. We have around $35.6 or $8 million, depending on incentives and all that. So Mike Trout, the more valuable player monetarily. When it comes to win, uh, wins above replacement, this stat is not even close, and it's astonishing. But when you delve into it, as I did, you'll see why. And according to BaseballReference.com, Bryce Harper's wins above replacement in his career is 28. 
and 28 gets you 82nd all time. All time. And and just some of the guys that are ahead of Bryce Harper, they're Hall of Famers. Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Stan Musial, Frank Robinson, Vlad Guerrero, Gary Sheffield. A couple of guys are ahead of him. And and to defend Bryce Harper on this, there are a lot of a lot of great right fielders play the game. You know, I even mentioned Larry Walker, underratedly good. You know, so when we look at Mike Trout, a lot of great played center field. Mike Trout wins above replacement is sixty seven point four. Sixty seven point four. That's sixth. And at his position, these wars based on the position. Every single person ahead of Willie Mays is a Hall of Famer. Willie Mays, Ty Cobb, Tri Speaker, Mickey Mantle, King Griffey Jr. You can't argue with that, right? You can't argue with that. And so Trout wins that. So jersey sales. This is where I went in and said, well, Bryce Harper has a shot to win. And, of course, Bryce Harper leads all the baseball in jersey sales. But Mike Trout is fourth. So right there in the top four is Trout. But Bryce Harper sells you jerseys. That's his value there. So awards. Once again, Bryce Harper, he's been an MVP. He's been a rookie of the year, six-time All-Star, and a Silver Slugger. That's great, right? For your career, that's pretty great. But let's go to Mike Trout. Mike Trout's a two-time MVP, also a rookie of the year. He's a seven-time All-Star, six-time Silver Slugger. He's a two-time All-Star MVP. Which is why I've said that that's, to me, Gives the greater edge to Mike Trout. Just awards. And people can argue that, well, the American League pitching is not as strong as in the National League. And that's a fair and valid point. But when Bryce Harper has to face Madison Bumgarner and Clayton Kershaw, there are a lot of great pitchers in the National League. Let's be very super clear on that. But Trout wins nonetheless. So social media, and this is according to Instagram. And by the way, those jersey sales were according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com. So there you go. So going back to the social media, Instagram says that, well, 1.6 million to 1.5 million, Bryce Harper wins that in the close. I think the leading, according to Instagram, is David Ortiz, which, do yourselves a favor, follow it. It's, it's a great great insta follow. So Bryce Harper wins that. So you're asking, well what did we learn today? Well there's two, three takeaways. The first takeaway is that Mike Trout based on the stats that are on the field is more valuable. Wins above replacement and awards to me means a lot. Because it does affect your performance. And the money, sure. The money, you know, value comes with money. Everyone gets that. 
Like I said earlier, Michael Jordan's value didn't come from money. It just came from the name Michael Jordan. And one of the things is, at the end, somebody else is going to make more money than that. Alex Rodriguez was the highest paid player. Nobody thought he was valuable to the Yankees. Derek Jeter was. And that was the reality. Secondly, Bryce Harper's value is kind of similar to Michael Jordan's. It's the marketing, and it's the name. Listen, his jersey sales and social media following is pretty good. And I think when he went to Philly, he it, it helped. And no disrespect to Washington. You know, the Nats are a great organization, great franchise. But Philly could put you in a top 5, 10 market. You're seen. Mike Trout, you know, he's in L.A., but the ain't listen, that's a Dodger town. That's a giant town. And the Angels are there because of Mike Trout. If Mike Trout was anywhere else, the Angels would not exist. They the A's would be better. And I could argue A's are right there too. And the third thing that I took away from this is is simply this. Mike Trout is what I say is is a lot to be a Hall of Famer. To be ahead of the five guys that I mentioned, and listen, I think that Willie Mays and King Griffin Jr. are me top ten players all the time. And I tell people, you can dispute me with numbers because who can hit, they can run, and they can feel. That to me is the criterion. And Mike Trout fits that mold. Hits for power. Gets on base. Great with the glove. Listen, and am I saying that... Now, am I saying that Mike Trout is not that great? No, I'm not saying that he's not great from a jersey perspective or social media perspective. But, on the field, he's fantastic. But the reason why I think people create this narrative that... Bryce Harper is better is simply because of listen, his face is everywhere. He brings personality to a sport that is not known for personality. And and I think that's great for baseball, whether people can dispute dispute me or not on it. It's kind of similar to what I feel about excuse me, it's kind of similar to what I feel about like Charles Barkley. Or, you know, uh, Charles Barkley is the one, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure there's more examples out there. But it was different, because he made it clear he was nobody's role model. That was different. It changed the league, in terms of a personality. That, you know, Barkley didn't care about likability. Bryce Harper doesn't care whether you like him. Bryce Harper is the type of old school dude, he'll go up there and throw down. Mike Trout doesn't. And that's not a knock on Mike Trout. None whatsoever. But what I always will say is, is that the reality is simply this. Mike Trout is a better ball player. Based on the stats I've given from Baseball Reference, MLB.com, and Instagram. Like, Bryce Harper wins Instagram. But Bryce Harper, in the long run, he's probably on the better team. That I will say. The Philly, you know, begrudgingly, I'll admit. They're the better team than the Angels right now. You know, Jake Arrieta, 
they're super better there. But at some point, I do believe that the Angels will get better. But it's reality that Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. And we got to stop assuming that the best player goes on the best team. That works in basketball. That works in every sport. That works, but I think in baseball, sometimes you got to look between the 162 games. And Mike Trout, his numbers win a lot of games. Doesn't necessarily lose you a lot of games. Pitching comes to mind when I think of the Angels. And so, speaking of pitching, I want to get into the AL and NL Cy Young race. And I want to lead off with this. This was hard for me to decide, well, who my top three and a wild card is for the AL. You know, right now, I think the three best pitchers in the American League is Justin Verlander, Mike Miner, and Domingo Germano of the Yankees. And, you know, the same criterion, you know, similar to... It's baseball stats, but, you know, wins, ERA, strikeouts. Opposing average to me is very important, which is why I left off a lot of guys off this list and the whip. Also, ERA as well. Look, Justin Verlander is, what, eight when He's second in the league, and as of now, he has eight wins. He's seventh in ERA. In fact, the only stat where he's not in the top, he's in he's in the top ten in every single stat. Not Mike Miner, Domingo German, and the fourth mystery player can't say that. So right now, to me, it's Justin Verlander in a runaway. But what I will say is that well, there is a reason why I added. I think of Mike Miner. What Mike Miner is the type of dude where look. He's very efficient. ERA. Two, 2.64 ERA. That's pretty good. That's why the mystery player, Tyler Glass, of the Tampa Bay Rays, is there. Because he's third in ERA. And he's tied for third in wins. But what hurts Tyler is that he doesn't strike out people. He's 37 in baseball. With 55 strikeouts. Like I mean, Berlander second 89. And why did I put Domingo Drummond? Domingo Drummond to me, I just look at how the Yankees are and I go, Domingo Drummond, listen, we all know how great CC Sabathia is, but folks, Domingo Drummond, you know, he, has, he leads the league and wins with nine. And, you know, more than Verlander, more than Miner, more than Clay. Listen, he has more than Madison Bumgarner, Clayton Kershaw. And to me, that matters. People are like, oh, that matters. You know, you go on, you go on the bump. And they're like, okay, this guy can win a game for us. Which is why I always say about pitching is why I left off of this. I left off Chris Sale and I left off Trevor Bauer because the ERA. You know, and also, listen, because that, to me, is just as important as wins. You go down the bump, look, people can argue, well, the AL, listen, 
jail and the hitting, I get it. When people can sit there and say, when you got guys like Bellinger and Yellich, who I mentioned, I think about two weeks ago, about those guys hitting the ball. Bonkers. But, it does not make an excuse on why your ERA is that high. Because to me, Mike Myers shocks me because he plays in Texas, where that's not a pitcher-friendly park. That's, that's, I could argue, for Tampa, Tyler, he pitches in Tampa. Drop a can of field? That's a minor league park on MLB The Show. But yet these guys, you know, third in the RA for Glasnow, Mike Mott holding his own with 2.64. And to me, the opposing average, look, Domingo Dramon, that's why he's on the list. And the two reasons why Tyler Glass on the list is, like I mentioned, the wins and his whip. He's sixth in the in whip. Jordan Verlin is on the list because he's top 10 in everything. Mike Munn's on the list because I think he has a great ERA. Domingo Dramon, great opposing average, and he's holding his own. Because we have to remember who these guys play on, you know, divisional. Listen, people can sit there and say, well, with the Angels and the A's, I'm like, oh, well, they're not great hitting. That's not my problem. Because if that, Mike Minor has excuses. Mike Minor, Mike Minor faces George Springer, Alex Bregman, Mike Trout, Domingo Duran. Listen, he's got to face Mookie Betts, Jackie. Bur- he's got to face those dudes. And that, and but yet his opposing average is not even two, two hundred. And that's what's astonishing to me, and that's what amazes me about this pitching. But to go to the National League, it's pretty, it's mucky. And simply the three candidates that I have, it's, you know, the fried guy from Atlanta, Zach Grinky, Hunjin Ryu, and the mystery guy of Luis Castillo, the Reds. You're thinking, well, why did you put the guy on the Reds on there? It's simple. The guy on the Reds is really up there. He's up there. He leads in three of the five. He leads in 6% of the stats. He has a great ERA. He strikes out people. And he, his average is great. His opposing batting average. Listen, hitters are hitting 163 against him. That's best for third. You know, Hunjin Ryu, listen, his ERA, 1.52. And people can argue, well, though, you know, he ain't got to face Cody Bellinger because Cody Bellinger's on his team. Listen, his opposing average is great, top 10. And also, look, his whip, 0.74. And not too far along, Zach Greinke for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Look, he, he's tied for first in the league and wins with Fried. You know, he for strikeouts, he's right there. And, listen, he's fourth in, he's fourth in whip. You know, these are the top, listen, these guys are top two in these stats. In the each of these categories, Mike Fried wins. He's there because the Braves are good. And so, because that's how, like I mentioned with Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, value. For a pitcher, value, to me, comes from all these wins, ERA, strikeouts, opposing. But to me, I look at your ERA and your opposing average. 
And I look, those are the two that I weigh heavily. Wins are important. But striking guys out is important. But listen, I look at ERA. Look at your opposing. You know, how are guys when you're facing? How, you know, how are they hitting against you? It's why I sit here and say that Luis Castillo is third and Rio is sixth. And you want to go down further on the list, Tie for 44th is fried. 240. They're hitting over 200. 240 at that. That Crinky's up there at 206. And listen, I left off Strasburg. I left off Max Scherzer. But listen, I didn't like the ERAs. I didn't like the ERAs. Not to say that when we revisit this, probably in a month, my top three to four is going to change. But that's fine. But I'll tell you what's not going to change is that when we come back, the Golden State Warriors, not just the basketball. I was going to talk about them as a franchise and how great they are. It might be a feature series. I don't know. It's up to you guys. That's next here on Sports in the World. And welcome back into Sports and the World. And I want to talk about the Golden State Warriors now. And, you know, of course, we all know that they took care of the Portland Trailblazers to move on to their fifth consecutive NBA Finals. I just want to throw this out there. You know, according to basketballreference.com, Great stat. Excellent stat. They're the first team to reach five straight NBA Finals since the Celtics of the 60s. We're talking 60 years of basketball. And that team won nine of the ten finals. They appeared in from 1957 to 1966. That's how great this Golden State Warriors team is. So we know how great they are from a basketball perspective. But let's look at it from a pecuniary perspective for just a moment. According to Forge.com, they're the 10 most valuable franchise in all of the world. And in NBA, they're third right behind the Knicks and the Lakers. They're valued at $3.1 billion. Billion with the B. You know, what, what can you say? And then they move into another arena. I'm not going to sit there and say in the next couple of years, if not... You know, I'm not going to say they're going to move past the Knicks or the Lakers. Because I think those two are the two more valuable franchises. Forget the -the on-the-court stuff. But once again, it proves how your name recognition, who you have, and it matters. With Golden State, look, how valuable did this team get when they added Kevin Durant? And I know there's been a lot of talk about, well, well, these guys are winning without Kevin Durant. They don't need him. And I know you're going to see stats out there that's going to say, oh, well, they're better with him, without him, than with him. And this is what I say to this. I tell people, look, did Golden State win championships without Kevin Durant? Yes, they did. But would they have gotten as far as they have without it? And you can sit there and show me your fancy numbers. But to me, the eye test, no, they wouldn't. Because, listen, Steph wasn't really on. And, you know, neither was Clay Thompson. 
Kevin Durant stepped up. And it was a great play. Listen. And then the top five list later, which will be about the top five NBA players, you'll see what Kevin Durant's on my list. And if throughout this segment, you don't get the idea of where I'm going, I'll make it clear, you know, later. But I want to talk about the Golden State Warriors. Go back to them. You know, whether we want to talk about it or not, and this could be another top five list on the Steph Curry has changed the way you play basketball. Okay, when we think of basketball, say the last 25, 30 years, we always thought the game was played from the inside out. You, you know, you have a, a solid big man, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, Akeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, those type of dudes. And then here comes Steph Curry, who basically said, well, I'm going to take the game on the outside. And he's done that. And whether you think that Steph is, you know, the best point guard of all time, I don't think he has a ways to go. Or whether you think that, you know, he's the best three-point shooter of all time, which he's very much on his well, well on his way to do. But what you can't take away from Steph Curry is the way that they, you know, he innovated the game. Period. He changed the way the game was played, and we can't argue and dispute that. And, you know, and at some point, that may be a list down the road. Or I think the top five NBA players who changed the way. Steph Curry's right on that list. Because he basically said, okay, we're going to take the game and play it on the outside. Look at, for example, when you look at teams now, look at big men. Like, Carl Anthony Towns can shoot from three. Joel Embiid can shoot from three. Okay? We knew that Dirk could shoot the lights out from three. We knew he was a great perimeter shooter. But now, I think teams look at it and go, like, listen, if you're not a four or five who can shoot, you're not even looked at. And that's why it's all kind of happened with Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard just couldn't shoot from the perimeter, and his value went down big time. When the game evolved, he couldn't evolve with it, simply put. So, so Steph Curry on the court, let's talk about the front office. I want to talk about you know Bob Myers. I want to talk about how great they drafted. Okay, they drafted this dynasty. This is a dynasty. And, and hint, this may be a new segment. We'll toy around with it. We'll see what you think. You know, but this team is definitely a dynasty. You know, they drafted Steph. They drafted Clay. They drafted Draymond. They drafted these dudes. Before we even were super teams were, you know, had to go from this place and that place. No. They chose the draft because, let's face it, they weren't a great franchise. So they had a lot of top 10, 15 picks. So, the, you know, rebuilding had to start within the draft. And, boy, they didn't miss. And, you know, the only other team that I could think of in the NBA that did a great job of that were the San Antonio Spurs, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Ginobili, Parker. You draft a dynasty. 
You don't recruit it, you draft it. Listen, as much as I'm for player mobility and moving to be the positions to be great and successful, listen, you have to build within when you're in a market like Golden State, where listen, like the lake at the Laker Clipper town. And in San Antonio, you know, you can argue, well, it's a Rockets, maybe Mavericks town. So when you're a small market, you have to draft well. You can't miss. It's like having one, listen, one arrow in the quiver and you can't miss. Once you miss, it's over. And that's what I think about the Golden State Warriors. They just don't miss. And look at the last, the coaches. Like Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr was a guy, great analyst, smart guy. He was an executive. Great, you know, he was a great serviceable player, won championships. He knows winning culture. He played on the San Antonio and the Chicago teams and won championships. And when it came to choosing, do I want to take the Knicks job or the Golden State job? It wasn't really that hard. He chose Golden State. Because, not just because of the bet, the Knicks aren't great, you know, even a couple of years ago. He chose because, listen, who you have running the show matters. And at some point, you know, I don't want to delve into, you know, executive, but listen, that's a great front office in Golden State. That's a hell of a front office. And when you get Steve Kerr, we could argue... Well, anybody can coach Golden State. Look at Luke Walton. Yeah, Luke Walton coached him. But look what happened when Luke Walton was given his own team. Luke Walton was the benefit of Steve Kerr and that coaching. Steve Kerr can coach. Let's be very clear. And I tell you, it's the same knock I always heard about Phil Jackson. Is that, well, anybody can coach Michael and Scotty. Anybody can coach those guys and Kobe and Shaq. Well, this is what I always say. I tell people, did they win a championship without Phil Jackson? And I tell people, no, no, I'll wait. Let me sit back and wait. Because, listen, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Trayvon Green, you know what, you know, listen, Steve Kerr was there. And the reality is simply this. They may not win a championship without Steve Kerr. Listen, Steve Kerr is just as important to that franchise. And when I hear people knock about Steve Kerr, I go, look, he knows basketball. He knew the Knicks job was was not great. Not just because of, listen, he could have probably made Carmelo Anthony an all-star. He could have made him a great player again. But he went to a team that was already there with great leadership management. And his predecessor, Mark Jackson, did a hell of a job. Which which shocks the, the heck out of me and why Mark Jackson is not coaching, getting some interviews. That's what's getting me. But that's a whole different story. Because, listen, Mark Jackson got them to where they are. Now, he was a catalyst. You know, he took young that young core, and Steve Kerr just kind of pushed it to that finish line, which I think, you know, we also got to give props to as well. 
And one of the last things I'll say about Golden State, I want to go back and talk about Kevin Durant. And I know there's reports out there that, oh, he could go to the Knicks. Could he be a Clipper? Folks. And I, yo, no, no, let me, let me go back. They say that, like I mentioned, oh, if Golden State wins this championship, they don't need him. I've acknowledged to you that, look, they won a championship without him. Okay? No, but look. Here's the reality. Could Kevin Durant is the two-time Finals MVP, not Steph Curry. Because if when I keep hearing people saying, "Well, Steph Curry won these," yeah, he did. But also, Andre Iguodala somewhere in between there got a Finals MVP too. So let's be clear on that. Listen, Steph's a great player. Steph, to me, you'll see in the list where I have him as a top five NBA player or not. Spoiler, spoiler alert, he is. But that's not going to take away how I feel about Kevin Durant. Listen, Kevin Durant, think about this. If Kevin Durant goes to the New York Knicks, if Kevin Durant goes to the Clippers, do you think that would change anybody's opinion about Golden State not being the favorite? Anybody? Anybody? You? Me? No. Golden State would still be the favorite anywhere he went. Which is why I say you stay. Because here's the reality. You left the Thunder. Listen, we know the management there is not great. I always harp on Westbrook. But that you know, we'll talk about the Thunder for another day. So he went to Golden State, joined a team that, listen, I argue they needed him. They lost in the finals. So when people say, listen, if they would have won that finals against Cleveland, I'd have said, okay, they're just adding. But they, listen, the pitch was, hey, we need you to win. And it worked like a charm. You got Kevin Durant there. Could I not have, Golden State would not be in position they're in without him. That's just, to me, hashtag the reality. I always say this. I always say at least once an episode. This is where listen. Honesty matters, and I'm being perfectly honest. Kevin Durant should stay. If he wants to go and build his legacy somewhere else, I get it. But look, notice how when Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen did great on his own, but he couldn't be a champion on his own. Okay. When he was given the Bulls when Jordan retired the first time, he couldn't do anything. They got to, could not get over the hump. That's what I always tell people. Look, who's in your ear telling you? Who's in your ear matters. And listen, I, I put it like this. Who you have in your circle matters. It's just like when I look at it, a presidential administration, it doesn't matter if it's Obama. Trump. It doesn't matter. I look at the people who surround the president. Because these are the people who are in their ear on a constant basis. And I, I look at that I look at that for Kawhi Leonard. Who's in Kawhi Leonard's ear now? 
you know, because you're going to hear talk about, well, Kawhi, maybe he goes to the Clippers. Or when I hear Kevin Durant, who's in his ear? I'm like, missing KD, man, these guys don't need you. Or someone telling him, look, they need you. And they're going to tell you they need you because they do. Because without you, they wouldn't be in this position. When when Steph was off, hell, when Clay was off, you proved how great of a player you are. Not just good, but all-time good. And that's especially important. So, to wrap up my point about the Golden State Warriors, look, this team... You bring back Kevin Durant, this team could go on that 9 out of 10 finals. And the West is the stronger conference, but I still think they're the best team. It's what I always say about the AFC. Listen, as long as Tom Brady is the quarterback of the New England Patriots, you can have your Kansas City Chiefs, you can have your Chargers, you can have who you feel in the AFC. But that's the same way I feel Golden State. As long as I see Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, click, I'm not betting against it. That's, that's foolishness. But speaking of foolishness, we'll be right back and we're going to talk about my money in the bank ranch. And let me tell you, it ain't like Golden State. It's, it's, it's not good. But that's going to come next here on Sports and the World. And welcome back into Sports and the World. Thank you for allowing me to come in again. We're almost to the finish line here. And I want to talk about Money in the Bank. Look, it was a great pay-per-view as I alluded to earlier. Listen, I watched it. Didn't watch Game of Thrones, but I watched this. And let me tell you, it had some very, very Game of Thrones reactions. To be more specific, I wanna I wanna start off listen, I like the Usos and the Rowan and Daniel Bryan match. It was a very good match. My only concern was if the Usos are in a feud with the revival, then why do you have them fighting Rowan and Daniel Bryan? And you know, if you believe internet rumors, you know, the revival on their way out, and, like, we're not going to put them on pay-per-view, we're not going to give them, we're not going to put them on, prom, you know, we're not going to put them on our pay-per-views, and however you feel, okay, but what I will say is this, I want to talk about the Money in the Bank matches, and in my predictions, listen, I was... I was really close on one and way off on the other. And I'll go to the one that was I was I felt confident that was Mandy Rose. And I thought, you know, it's kind of how I pictured it was going to happen. Where, you know, Sonya Deville was going to be there. Mandy Rose, she was going to get that briefcase. She was going to be the champion. And here came Bailey. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, no, Bailey's going to win it. And she did. And listen, congrats to Bailey. I don't knock Bailey. Bailey deserves it. And this is the point where maybe people maybe have to convince me on. You can convince me on social media. 
Twitter is at Ladares underscore Brown. Instagram is at CubbiesFan77. This is the point where I need fans to maybe convince me right or wrong when I say this. It, by rewarding Bailey, the briefcase, I think you're doing two things. One thing that I like and one thing that I don't like. I'll go with the one thing that I don't like. What you're saying is that you're saying it's okay to complain. Listen, Bailey's a team player. I get it. But Bailey is Tasha Banks' friend. So when you're saying that, well, we'll, we'll give Bailey the briefcase, what you're saying is that you kind of semi-acknowledge that Sasha Banks wasn't completely wrong in her sentiment about dropping those women tag team titles at WrestleMania. Because listen, people consider and say, well, Bailey's her own woman. Yes, Bailey's a heck of a wrestler. But I sit here and go this by you giving her the briefcase and hint. You'll see her later in the pay-per-view. You're saying that, listen, well, we're rewarded. But you're kind of saying, maybe they were right. And I'm like, okay. But this is what, I'll go to the positive. What I like about it is, is that I think Bailey, it creates something that I think should have happened a year and a half ago. Make Bailey a heel. Babyface, Bailey, we've seen the cap. We've seen the max on it. I think that's what was happening with the Miz. We've seen, you know, heel Miz. We got the cap, made him a babyface. So, I think that doing this with Bailey, making her a heel, it works. And if you see her promos, you know, once SmackDown, I kind of feel she's going that way. And that, to me, that's the positive. Because I want to see heel Bailey. Because I feel she should have went heel on Sasha Banks. She didn't go full-blown heel. But this is an opportunity to go heel. But I also want to talk about a match that occurred. That, uh, look, the Miz and Shane McMahon. All I'm going to simply say is this. In this feud, if you want to call it that, the Miz didn't gain anything. What did the what did the Miz gain out of that feud? I want somebody to answer that question. Listen, I gave you the social media. I'll give it to you again. Tweet me at, at Ladaris underscore Brown. DM me on at CubbySpan77. And somebody please tell me, what did the Miz get out of that feud? He didn't get anything. He didn't get zilch. He got nada. He didn't get nothing out of it. He lost to Shane at WrestleMania. And then, you have him fight again in this pay-per-view. He loses again. You know, listen, I may not be the greatest fan of 50-50 booking, but jeez. Like, this, that to me, kind of semi-dulls anything that 
momentum that The Miz had. The only thing that The Miz really won out of this feud, and just the only thing he won was just more airtime. And I'd be curious to see what his next storyline's going to be. Because, look, that was the one match where I said, The Miz has got to win it, right? He's got to win it, and he didn't. And I feel that goes a lot on the writing, creative, making Shane McMahon, we know he's the best in the world. We get that. But, The Miz is not a slouch. But you could have fooled me. And what I also want to get into is the one thing that aggravates. Now, say, you know, I understand in the pay-per-view you can't have every belt defended. Listen, Finn Balor was in the men's money in the bank. That's why the IC title was won. And, you know, with the whole Samoa Joe, you know, his nose, officiating, that was a common theme. But this goes back to the Bailey point that I made. Why weren't the Iconics defending their championship? And people can sit there and say, well, Becky had to... No, 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 no. This is... This is... Make Sasha... Listen, I don't agree with how Sasha Banks is hit. Let's be very clear. What I'm simply saying and what I'm conjecturing is... Is that when are you saving this match for? Because you can't save for Saudi Arabia. They can't go... Are you saving it for Stomach? When are you? What are we going to see it? Obviously, the Kabuki Warriors with Kari Sane and Asta. Those are the content. Listen. And I get where people sit there and say, well, you you're going to all these. Like, no, 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 no. Why didn't they defend the belts? Ben Balor didn't defend his. Becky defended both of hers in the same night. Samoan Joe defended his. The, the championship belts were defended. The only major belt that didn't have any prominent feature was the women's tag belt. Even the Cruiserweight title, that great match between Tony Nese and Davari, that was on there. But you're telling me you couldn't put the Iconics versus the Kabuki Warriors? That was, And I'm sitting there going, I could sit there and say either every belt was defended or the champion was in another match. Becky Lynch defended two belts. Finn Balor was in Money in the Bank. Tony Nese defended his belt. Samoa Joe defended his belt. People say, what about the tag belts? Look, I'm look. Have you seen the Raw tag team situation? I'm good. But what I'm not good at is that you're just making Sasha Banks look right and right every day. And that you gave Bailey that briefcase, and then you're not having those belts defended puts validation in her point, whether you think she's right or wrong. And I am in the camp that I think she was right in what she was feeling, but wrong in how she handled it. That that doesn't mean that I don't have some sort of point about she just handled it wrong, and then 
That belt's not even defended. You couldn't even defend the belts. And that's the point, I guess, that was, that's what was getting me. And what else got me was that I was not surprised at the Becky Lynch. I knew she was going to lose the SmackDown belt. It made sense. Because I picked a SmackDown female to win. So, half point for me. But, because I think that Becky Lynch is the face of Raw. It makes sense. If you're going to have Charlotte and Bailey, that works. But you still need something over on the Raw Women's Division who doesn't have Nia Jax. You know, people are sitting and argue. People are like, well, oh, Nia No, look. A lot of missing pieces. Because right now, if you take Becky Lynch off of Raw, you have Alexa Bliss, who got pulled out of the Money in the Bank match. And who would be your second? Lacey? Natalia? I'll leave it up to you. And I respect everyone in that division. Do not get me wrong. So it made sense to have, you know, Becky keep the Raw belt. It just made sense. The SmackDown belt, look, I like how it worked out. I mean, people say, oh, the cash hit. Look, folks, you got to understand, Charlotte as a nine-time champion, would you rather have had that or have that cash in? I'll take that cash in any day. Because at some point, Charlotte's going to get the belt back. She's going to be a ten. She will be, and I'm bold prediction time. She will challenge her father. 16-time championship reign, and shout-out to Nate. Glad he's doing better. He's at home. So, why not put it on Bailey? Get some friction going there. Get Give somebody Charlotte, somebody else, somebody new, and Bailey, you know, when Bailey, and then, listen, once they figure, listen, let Lacey and Becky, you know, I'm not completely on board with it, but I look at everybody else and go, fine, I'm okay with it. But I'll tell you what I'm not okay with. I gotta take a deep breath when I say this. How do you let that happen, WWE? Listen, I understand you need Brock Lesnar, but you do you have listen to have him be money in the bank, to have him have the briefcase. At some point, you got to realize, WWE, that I understand you need him, and I get it. Even though, as a fan, I go, quite frankly, you know, things were progressing fine. But, however, when I look at the number of competitors, like I said, the number that could be legit challengers to either belt, Look, that's why I chose Drew McIntyre. I feel Drew McIntyre, that's the next guy. And if they would have given to Ali, I would have been okay with that too because of his injury and missing the opportunity at WrestleMania. I get all of that. But you can't get me to... There were two people in that... There were two people, including Brock Lesnar. If you would have gave him that, I'd have been like, you know what? I'm done. 
the other person would, and people can sit there and say, oh, pff, been Randy Orton. Because to me, I don't think Randy Orton's in it for championships. I'm going to be honest. Do I want him to be a champion? Sure. But let's face the reality. Who can you push him with? That's interesting. He's a, Listen, he's a Hall of Famer. But I would have even took him over Brock Lesnar. Because at least you got somebody who that face-heel dynamic works for me. Brock will never be a face. Brock, to me, is the penultimate heel. And look, at the end of the day, if that's the reason why you... And I, and I get it from a, once again, a pecuniary perspective. You hear me say that a lot. I get it. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean that, oh, well, we need him. At some point, how long... He, he's going to hold that briefcase? SummerSlam at the minimum. He could very well hold that belt to the next WrestleMania. I want people to think about that. Whoever the champion is. And if you had to give me a choice of either Seth Rollins being the Universal Champion or Kofi being the WWE Champion at the time of WrestleMania, smart money says that Seth is going to hold to that Universal title. Kofi, I think, will lose it at some point. And it's not because I don't believe in Kofi. But I think when I look at Ziggler, I look at Kevin Owens, I look at those dynamics. And even if they give me a Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre type thing, I, I'd love that too. I'd love that as a main event. But WWE's not going to do it. Hell, but Braun Strowman, you took off. I'd like to see that too, but they can't do that either. And I think that's what's aggravating a lot of people. And I know I'm not the only one in that camp. Because at some point, this is what I say about WWE. When you have a meeting to talk about AEW, that means someone's screwing up. And they know they got to get things right. They know that, listen, we got to keep these guys, we got to put, look, if you think that Brock Lesnar is going to AEW, then I think it's hilarious. I think Sasha Banks has a better chance of going to AEW than Brock Lesnar because Vince is going to keep giving the money. AEW is not, it's just basically establishing itself, even from the guys who they have in the roster now, where you can look at a lot of guys to be champion. When you look at WWE, they make it very clear. That, well, we want Brock Lesnar to be champion. We want to be involved in the championship. See, when he was out of the championship scene, it was fine. But, oh, no, we got to bring him back. And I think that's what was disturbing people. And I think that's what was upsetting people. That, oh, we got to bring him back in the wrestling scene. And you didn't have to. Because, see, at the end of the day, when you, just like in sports, or in your business, or in your life, when you revolve something around one person, one place or one thing is great if you listen. But however, if you build your franchise around a quarterback, that's great. But if you don't give that quarterback an offensive line, I don't care if it's Dan Marino, Tom Brady, or any all-time great quarterback. They're going to suffer. WWE, if you're just giving us Brock Lesnar and you're not having dudes there to sustain, if he's just... You know, you got Seth Rollins, you got Drew McIntyre, you got legit dudes. 
And the problem is that you're alienating them. And you're not building, because look, if Brock Lesnar, you want him to be the quarterback of this team, you want him to be the guy in this company, then at some point, you better find a way to convince the offensive line to protect him. Because they'll be like, well, this guy always comes back. This guy does not give us any credit. We're always here when he's not. Your offensive line can always be there when the quarterback is not. That's the reality. But what's also the reality is that our last segment, a new segment, our top five list, and that will be debuted next on Sports and the World. into the final segment here on sports and the world and thank you for taking time out of day if you joined us this far i truly do appreciate it i'd also love to hear from you social media twitter at leders underscore brown instagram at cubby fan 77 so as i promised the top five list of the top five nba players every week i may try to do a top five list you know, inspired by David Letterman's top 10 list. I'm going to give you half of that. And this list is up for debate. You can come at me. Take it as face value. It doesn't mean my list is set in stone. It's not Mount Rushmore. You know, I love this feedback. It's important. But this top five list, I base it on my opinion. I base it on the facts that I perceive are important. Not everybody thinks, well, if you ever think that fact's important, but I think it is. So without further ado, you hear the music time for your top five list starting at number five Kawhi Leonard and I chose Kawhi over Anthony Davis and James Harden and to me it was it was easy simply because this playoff proved once again two things A. James Harden cannot get it done Kawhi can and Kawhi's gonna get it done for the long time there was a point in time where we were talking about him and LeBron being the best defensive player in the game. But right now, look, he's the second youngest finals MVP on a San Antonio team that had Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Milan Ginobili. He was the finals MVP. He proved how great, all-time great he could be in the postseason. Look at his run in Toronto. Listen, they're up 3-2 now against the Milwaukee Bucks. Saturday, they could be going to the NBA Finals. Let me tell you, if that happens, I could argue he could move ahead of the fourth guy on our list is Giannis. Look, you can argue, well, Kawhi's having, listen, this list is based on a future and what I think is current. Giannis still, to me, has a tremendous upside. Giannis could easily be in the top three in the next five years. Easily. But what I like about Giannis in the playoffs, like Toronto is great and Kawhi deserves credit, but what he's done with Milwaukee, look, folks, he has four 25-point, 10-rebound, and five assist games just in this postseason. Chris Webber has four in his career, and Chris Webber is a Hall of Famer, very great basketball player. 
folks, my, my point is simple. Giannis has upside. Milwaukee is going to continue to be great because the East is going to continue to get better if Kawhi stays and Giannis stays. And you throw in if Ben Simmons and if they can figure out in Philly, if the Knicks can figure it out, the East could be great and these two guys I mentioned can make it better. And now we get to the top three. Number three is Steph Curry. Look, I know what people are going to say when I say, well, why don't you have him lower? Look, I go back to how I feel about Steph Curry. Steph Curry is still Steph Curry. And I don't take nothing away from Steph Curry. I think that he's still seen as the franchise player. So is Kevin Durant. But I think that it's kind of the same issue that's very, very similar to when I see, and I gave the parable parable earlier, where about A-Rod and Jeter, where, yes, A-Rod was making more money, but Jeter was still seen as the guy, and A-Rod had more to prove, and I think that's Kevin Durant, but Jeter is like Steph Curry. When the winning happened, he was winning before A-Rod got there, and that's important, and that's why Steph Curry is number three. And let me tell you why Steph Curry is number three right now. Here's the thing. He's the first player to have a 25-point triple-double in the clinching game, and that game he clinched against Portland, of a playoff series since a great year to have a finals, James Worthy in 88, game seven of the finals. So, in 31 years, two people can lay claim to that. He stepped up when it counted. That's why he's number three. Whether we can argue how all-time worst Steph will end up on this list, but we can't deny that he's the third best player walking the planet Earth. We can't deny that. And, and I understand where people can sit there and say, oh, well, you know, you know, someone who will mention later on this list is better. But like I mentioned when I talked about Golden State, look, value. Steph Curry is valued. It's something you can't measure in money, but you can measure in how many people wearing Steph Curry jerseys. Social media. You are following him, his wife Aisha, Aisha Curry. Following them, following his personality, and all the things he's doing. That to me, that to me is Bryce Harper like except with championships. And at the end of the day, Steph Curry has a bottom line. That's why he's number three. And number two is LeBron James. Look, LeBron James, this year, he took a hit in leadership. His numbers did not take a hit. He still, I believe, he's still a top five in scoring. Listen, he didn't take a hit in his statistical aspect. But in a leadership aspect, he took a major, major hit. And none of us can deny that he did. Because he did. This was the first time, I think, forget finals, this, he didn't make the playoffs. The second time in his career where he has not made the postseason, I think since his rookie year, he did not make the playoffs. And look, but what I will do, listen, LeBron James' resume, 
fourth most playoff game, nine straight finals. Nine straight. Yeah, people say, oh, he finished three and six. Look, you know, give me eight straight finals. Three and, oh, he went three and six. So what? That's three more than Giannis and Kawhi, who I keep hearing, who I have four and five. That's more than the guy who I have at number one. So if we're talking about championships, he's right up there with the third guy on this list, Steph Curry. And I think he's better than Steph Curry. Steph Curry didn't suffer in leadership. LeBron James did, but what LeBron James is still second, what makes him the second best player on the planet, is that, look, he's still, even as bad as the Lakers were this year, he was the best thing about the Lakers. It goes back to what I talked about, the common theme of today's episode is value. And that may be that may be the theme for a lot of players. And a lot of things when I talk about value, because you measure it differently. We know LeBron James is the highest paid guy on the roster, but look, he's a leader. And it took a hit. Okay, and we look at look at a company. I I put it like this. Go look at for example, when I think of Apple, I think of Steve Jobs. Mind you, Apple was done. They got rid of Steve Jobs. They brought Steve Jobs back. All of a sudden, the company became great again. Okay, Bill Gates running Microsoft is great. That was the value. Of course, they made money. Of course, they made the money. But value in leadership, your leadership, what you bring, people look, you're the face. And as much as the Lakers is dysfunction, the only constant is LeBron James. And speaking of constant, the number one player on this list is Mr. Constant, and that's Kevin Durant. Look, I get a lot of flack for probably putting Kevin Durant ahead of LeBron. But let me tell you something. He hasn't played many playoff games, 138 playoff games. He's a four-time scoring champion. And I will say he's probably the best scorer. He's better than LeBron. What puts him ahead of LeBron is three simple things. Kevin Durant now, better scorer. I think I could argue better. He's a slightly better defender. And number three, and this is number three, and this is very important. I just think that Kevin Durant's game overall has just gotten better than LeBron. Not saying LeBron slack, but I think Kevin Durant understands his skill set. He's a better shooter. Is what I'm trying to tell you. You could argue with me. Look at the numbers. And in the as the league changes, it favors Kevin Durant. And I think that, to me, no matter what people think or the opinions, I think Kevin Durant is the best player on the planet. And do I think that he can be on the? He could be number one for the next, I could say, three to five years. But we start talking about Giannis, Kawhi, and the, you know, even Anthony Davis. I think that I'm very high on Kevin Durant. I'm very high on him in Oklahoma City. I think that 
he got a chance to prove playing on the best team, not just in NBA, but we've ever seen in any sport in the last 25 years, how he took that team and became a finals MVP, how he took over games from Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, how he became the best player on the planet. And, you know, that's my top five. And you wonder why, listen, Anthony Davis, how does he get in the top five? I think he has to do better in the playoffs. And I could argue that, listen, being in the Pelicans and the way they get the first round knockouts, not progressing on further, that can hurt your legacy. Look, before we, listen, we knocked Charles Barkley because he didn't win a championship, but Charles Barkley went to the playoffs. Hell, he went to a finals. And Anthony Davis has it. And this is the prime prime of his career. And that's applicable to James Harden. Look, if you're James Harden, James Harden was a top five player in the world before this playoffs. But when I saw the way he was playing, you know, it was between him and Kawhi. And the way I saw James Harden play, that's not a top five player. That's not a top five player. Because, look, Top five players don't make excuses. As I said last time, excuses are the tools for incompetence that will build the monuments to nothing. That's how I feel about James Harden. And simply put, can the Houston Rockets even get back to the position to be? Yeah, they could. But, listen, it all depends on this offseason. Because, listen, James Harden's legacy is why he's not in the top five. He can't get in the playoffs. It's why when the next time, you know, top five list, I'm going to talk about the top five, top five quarterbacks. And we're going to delve into that as well. Because, once again, going back to the NBA, Kawhi 5, Giannis 4, Steph 3, LeBron 2, Kevin Durant 1. I think that's not up for debate. You can debate 1 and 2, but you really can't debate Steph Curry as a solid 3. He's a third best player, and I think he's okay with that. And he understands that his skill set puts him at number 3 because, because A, he has the intangibles as a shooter to control a game. When he's on, he's on. But when he's off, he's on. His worst night could be Giannis' best night. And I think, listen, this top five list, I hope you like it. I hope you enjoy it. I also hope that you enjoy this episode of Sports and the World. And until we meet again through the airwaves, please join me next time as you and I together go on this journey of sports in the world.